Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Well, well uh, Bobo, it's time for our guest, and um, this is a new thing for us. I mean, the podcast in general is new, but this is a new way to do it because for once, I have the guest in the room with me. He's a good friend of yours as well. So, Bobo, here's the surprise I had for you. Welcome, Tom Powell. Tom, awesome. Yeah, Tom's a good friend. He comes over and hangs out every once in a while, cook him dinner. We drink beers around the campfire. Um, and this happens to be one of those nights. So I thought it'd be yep. a great opportunity to get together with you and do a podcast. So Tom and I are sitting in my office in front of the mm-hmm. computer. You're uh, down in uh, um, in Humboldt in California, and we're having a good time. Yeah, well, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. So I'm glad we got a pro here. <laughs> yeah. Why He's the one that broken? sets the bar, right? Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> finally able to go outside again it's getting warm out there and uh we're ready to go squatching yeah spring and summer are upon us getting excited awesome glad to hear it so anyway so we have tom powell we got a couple open beers in front of us what do you want to talk about bobo tom's the preeminent guy about paranormal bigfoot activity so i guess let's just get weird right off the bat yeah well what's new is always my favorite topic and it forces you to keep up but for me What's new is just trying to figure out where they go when they disappear. I guess my best guess is that they go underground. There has to be some sort of underground component to their uh, existence. These teepee things that people see in the woods just aren't written domiciles they might be markers or something i'm not saying they're bogus but i'm just saying they're not uh any kind of shelter uh, from elements no but you know what i mean before you go too much further tom um i have to back up to the very first thing you said um where do they go when they disappear mm-hmm. what do you mean by disappear because i know you're into some weird stuff mm-hmm. and i I've, have reports of people saying it disappeared it evaporated right. right before is that what you're talking about or like when no, what are you i didn't about? mean to be in that case but that's another conversation that i'm all too willing to explore well when I, tom powell's here <laughs> everything's on the table that is this right. conversation right well there's so there's two kinds of disappearing one of them just is that they're very definitely there at certain times and they're very definitely not the rest so either they're crossing dimensionality or they're going underground but when they're not around they're just not around uh so i put that question to a bunch of 
Indian folk, and they are in pretty general agreement that there is an underground component to the phenomenon. So it also seems like something that, uh, you know, the Indians have pondered and they have some definite ideas. And it's interesting when uh, those ideas are basically in agreement with some of mine. But yeah, then there is the thing of people say, I saw it dissolve away in front of me. There was a guy I interviewed who uh, just wanted to know, do other people see this? Is this been reported by anybody else? I was standing in a clear cut. There it was across the clear cut, but still out in the open. And it just dissolved away like it was beam, being beamed aboard the Starship Enterprise. And he insisted that that's what he saw. And he his story uh, was the same every time he was asked to uh, explain it, but he said it just dissolved away. So they, you do get those reports, and and what what you do with them, I don't know. I'm still scratching my head. I guess there's two possibilities: either they're able to make it look like they're not there by interfering with the workings of your brain, or they're doing something with light to where it bends around them and it doesn't look like they're there. But I think that the reason they don't like the cameras is because the cameras give them away. If you take a picture, they're there, but you can't see them. And there's been quite a number of those that I've run into over the years, people saying, I could hear it, I could feel the presence, but I couldn't see a darn thing. And Isn't that just a bad, like an excuse for bad photography skills? <laughs> well, uh, what I tell people is take a bunch of pictures, even when you don't see anything, just take pictures of everything you can. And maybe some of those pictures will uh, bear fruit. Bill Dranginis used to tell people to wear a video on their hat, you know, the way they got them, but film behind you. Uh, and you'll get things that happen on the trail as you walk by. And that's not even that paranormal. That's just being sneaky. <laughs> well, Tom, a little upset now that you're responsible for looking at all these paradoia pictures because I've looked at thousands of photos of the woods with people circling mm-hmm. red circles around right. shadows. Right. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite jokes when I do the slide talks is to uh, show people a bunch of pictures of stuff like that. And uh, just sort of my little saying that I like to use is if you have to draw a circle around it, it's no damn good. Right. Uh, Yeah, because the Patterson Gimlin film was obtained pretty early in the Bigfoot game. mm -hmm. uh, And that kind of set the bar so high that no one has matched it yet, really. Um, as far as length and clarity and stuff. So the pareidolia thing is a plague in Bigfooting, um, but sometimes it's the best you got. And some of those are very likely Bigfoots. In my personal, rather skeptical opinion, the vast majority are not, but some of them are most likely Bigfoots because just it's just a numbers game. Uh, Bigfoots are, in fact, real, and people try to take pictures of them. They say, yeah, it was right there, and you see it, and the, no, I don't see it, but... You know, if you said you saw it go in there, I suppose it's there. Yeah, you know, and I've I've talked to plenty of people that have told me, well, Tom's one of them, with that one when your ear got flicked that night. But I've talked to other people that uh, I'd like this one couple down in Mendocino were walking down Highway 101 one night, and this thing was paralleling them, 
running up behind him on the road, running past him on right on the 101, like at four in the morning, just, and there's not, there's, you know, very little traffic that time of night on the road there, but they uh, said it was invisible. They said it was, it was pitch black, but they, they could feel the breath on their neck at certain points. They'd come, they could hear the feet slap behind them. And I've talked to several people that have said, yeah, like it was dark, but I should have seen something like, and there was, mm-hmm. and they could feel it. Like one guy, he was walking home to McKinleyville from Arcata where Humboldt State University is. He was down there, you know, at the bars one night. He tried to get with some girl and he got shut down. So he had to walk home. This was back in the late seventies. You know that story, <laughs> Bob. Yeah, we, you know that story, huh? That's the real walk of shame. <laughs> and uh, it tried to throw him off the bridge, the Mad River Bridge. It was grabbing him and throwing him off. And he said it was incredibly oh strong. And if he, he said if he didn't grab hold of both arms and wrap underneath the, one of the girders, it would. He said it, it almost got. And this guy's a big, strong dude. He's bigger than me. He said that uh, he would have definitely got tossed. He if he wasn't braced for it right when it happened, it would have just threw him right over. So Bigfoot was acting in a hostility. He was trying to kill him, or something was. Oh, but yeah, he couldn't see what it was. Yeah, you you can't say it's a Bigfoot if you don't see it. You can just say something was there, right? (laughs) Right. You know, it's like these these voices in the head that people get. You know, you don't see the Bigfoot, but they say it is. You're going to believe a voice in your head? I don't even believe my own thoughts. How am I going to believe somebody else's thoughts in my own head that I don't see? I've just heard the the same description several times, and Tom's had his own experience with it. And I've had a few things happen where I could hear him. And I should have seen them, and I didn't. And uh, the other thing that I look back on now, where I used to just write it off, and now I don't, is people saying it looks like they're cloaking, like the predator from the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I kind of look back on all these people that took the paranormal aspects, and I, I got to apologize to them. This phenomena is happening, and there's something causing it. We just don't know what. Well, either we're getting new sort of sources of information that were never heard before or the phenomenon is evolving because it seems to me that you get more stuff that harkens of paranormal paranormal being just we can't explain it It seems like there's more than ever that's coming to the surface so either people are being more forthcoming or the phenomenon is evolving in response to our studying it and that's what the ufo people sometimes find it that Back in the 1800s, the UFOs that were seen were the shape of, uh, like, airships yeah, and things. Yeah, and and now UFOs are a lot more, I don't know, space age. And some researchers in that field have uh, noticed this, and they aren't afraid to suggest that the phenomenon is changing in response to our studying it which is true for a lot of things, including quantum physics. Right. Uh, so, you know, that's Ron Moorhead's whole thing is that uh, there are uh, similarities between our cryptozoology interest and uh, things like quantum physics, where, where even in the, in the behavior of subatomic particles, the particles behave differently when you watch them. And when you don't, <laughs> how do they know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of phenomena are like that. I knew for a fact 
that if I didn't keep an eye on the students in my classroom, they wouldn't behave. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'd leave the classroom for a minute and it changes everything. Well, but, with humans, it's one thing, but with, with seemingly inanimate phenomena, they shouldn't uh, behave differently when we're around, but they do. So certainly I think the Sasquatch know that we're researching, you know, collecting tidbits of information. And earlier, Cliff and I were talking about the vehicular reports and how close they come to vehicles. And I surmise that that is a bit of a game, the whole vehicle uh, encounter, you know, running across the highway. I, I think they're fucking with us and having a good time doing it, maybe even testing their uh, own response time. Uh, a lot like birds do. Birds actually surf the bow wave on a car. I've, I've seen birds do that as I drove along the road. You know, little swallows and stuff will do that a lot. Oh, like like, uh, like a wakeboarder behind mm -hmm. a boat or something mm -hmm. like that. After that, for 20-something years, when they're running in front of the car, it's mm -hmm. it's like teenagers, you know? Like we right. used to do when we were in high school, like straight right. naked and then mm -hmm. sprint in front of cars to make them skid and we'd laugh at their reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think they're having fun. Although there is another possibility, and this is something that uh, goes back to, I think, John Keel, who was one of the original, you know, paranormal researchers who also was into the crossover between the phenomenon. He's that Mothman dude, isn't he? Yeah. And, and he felt that after a while, there were clear indications that what was being experienced by these other people was meant to find him, that, that they knew that he was gathering information. And a lot of the sighting reports that would happen to him, happen to other people, seemed to him like something he was supposed to hear about, that they were, again, sort of using a back channel on him, feeding him information. Yeah, that's uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk's new spiel. Um, you know, they did that documentary, Hellier. Um, I think it's on Amazon and probably a few other outlets. And their whole deal is like a, that scene that they, they initially started looking for goblins. Um, but they, as they went, they found peculiar things and strange synchronicities and all that other stuff. And they always brought in Keel as well. Um, not as a human, obviously, but like just the idea of his um, synchronicities mm -hmm. and what. And so uh, that's their whole trip at this point. Uh, it's a good series. Uh, um, you know, it's all paranormal, so I don't know what to think of it. But like, it's a good series, but that's their deal as well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of people exploring those avenues nowadays. Well, here's another thing that I've heard from uh, several different field guys recently, and that is first you go out in the woods and do shit and maybe have an encounter of some kind. You get some indication they know you're there. But then the next thing happens is the stuff starts happening around your homestead. In other words, they follow you home. Uh, and you, you start to get indications they know where you live. And some people who are even in, you know, pretty far into town say, I don't know, my house gets banged on at night and, uh, and things are being rearranged <laughs> in my yard and in really uh, subtle ways that uh, seem to be uh, directed. So have you ever run into that? People say they follow you home. I I had an encounter. I actually had been up there with Clip near these Indian burial grounds for a week, and I came home. And you had told me about this, but I didn't even think about it. Like you know, I know Henry had some stuff like that. You had some stuff like that. But I came back from the Indian burial grounds, and I 
it was a summertime, so it wasn't dark till like 9.30 or something. I was laying on the couch about 9.30, 9.40, and it was just getting dark, and there was just this boom. And first I thought someone ran into my house with a car, and then I thought it was a, ah. like an earthquake jolt. I was in the living room with my back to the wall of the laundry room, and it sounded like it came from near the ceiling of the laundry room. It, like, it sounded like, like one big punch. I was like, that was weird. Then I went back up to the burial grounds area again, came home a week later. The same thing happened. There was a big boom, and Monkey jumped up, and she stared at the, the uh, laundry room wall behind me, and I was just laying on the couch, and this thing, I just heard these big, it sounded like something like weighed a lot. Like, it was way heavier than me. It was bipedal sounding, but taking longer steps than even like more time in between each footfall. But each footfall, the whole house went groan, like, Rrr! and it walked through the laundry room into the kitchen, through the kitchen into the dining room, then the dining room into the living room. And I was just laying there and I was watching, had the TV on, and Monkey's head followed the sound, you know, like looking at the walls, but you could hear the sound coming around the house. And it walked and it stood right behind me and I could feel it, right, something right there. And she was just staring at it. And I just said, hey, uh, I don't want any problems. I don't know who you are, but, you know, no, I don't got any problems with you. Like, stay if you want, whatever, whatever. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And then um, she, Monkey stared there for about 10 or 15 minutes. Then she just laid down. And I didn't feel anything and nothing else happened. But that was the last time anything like that happened. Has anything like that ever happened to you, Cliff? No. They don't like you. <laughs> I can't wait till Cliff has something like that happen because when it happens to you, it's a, it's just like seeing a big fight. Right. When it happens right. to you, it's a whole nother deal. Right. Yeah. But the problem with that now is that I live in the woods. Mm. Like I, I live close to siding locations. I know there are Bigfoots in my neighborhood. I have the advantage of living in the woods as opposed to downtown mm. Portland. where Bigfoots really are to supposed to be here. Exactly. <laughs> hey, so you must have uh, spoke with Ron Moorhead about his quantum Bigfoot book. Mm -hmm. Tom. Sure. Yes. Many and, times. I just got it from at the Nebraska conference. He gave me a copy, and I haven't started yet, but it's definitely on my list. It's my next book I'm going to read. I don't know if I'm going to understand it, but you got a pretty good handle on that, or quantum physics? Well, I think the biggest thing is just this Heisenberg uncertainty principle. He doesn't get really he, – he doesn't throw a lot of math at you, and the truth is if you're going to get into quantum physics, you got to get into some serious math. But um, he's just taking ideas from the quantum physicist. And, and one of the biggies is that the situation changes in response to your observing it. Uh, he's really interested in this pineal gland, which is this slightly mysterious either part of your sinus or your brain, depending on where you draw the line. But uh, according to the New Agers, the pineal gland is the sort of center of human uh, intuition and gives you this connection to the to consciousness which exists outside of your own head. Uh, so it's it's a bunch of stuff like that that is really um, sort of uh, being embraced more and more by mainstream science these days. But it is kind of a slippery slope into these uh, areas that it, it's really hard to study, like intuition and so forth. But I, I think the idea is that consciousness exists outside of your brain. And so your consciousness, including your memory, is accessible to other beings if they know how to do it. 
because it's it's actually memories are in your brain. They're backed up in your brain, but they're also exist outside of your brain in this sort of vague area called consciousness. So Ron's really into uh, the implications of that and what that means as far as communication with other entities, whether they're ghosts or Bigfoot. And, you know, I like to say we don't know that we're not dealing with ghosts when we're dealing with Sasquatches. They may be something that was once there. Uh, You know, it really is uh, a brave new world of physics these days. Or let's just say Henry Franzoni likes to say that the Sasquatch are a creature of physics. I think a lot of listeners might be surprised to hear me say that I don't have a lot of problem with what Tom just said. I'm completely confident that Sasquatches are a perfectly normal biological animal. But when people are claiming that voices in their heads or synchronicities that are coming to them are because of Bigfoots, I don't see the one-to-one correlation because uh, I've done a little bit of research into this. I mean, I've been like kind of picking away at a book about the weird stuff for the last year or so. Um, and I've spoken to people who have had these voices in their head or uh, have claimed to communicate and all that sort of stuff. And it turns out that the messages they're getting are the same messages that they get from UFO contactees or people who have near-death experiences. You need to take care of the planet. Yeah, all that stuff. It's kind of a hippie vibe, yeah. yeah. So these hippies from the other side of the veil are communicating to some people. I don't know why. I've got some ideas. Mm-hmm. But I see no reason to say those are Bigfoots um, unless there's a big footprint in the middle of your kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and as far as uh, the consciousness outside your body, here's something that I've been toying with because I'm a thinker. I like to think about things and I like unusual things. So therefore I like to think about unusual things. Um, Everybody kind of thinks, oh, the universe kind of came into being, it produced life somehow and life eventually evolved into consciousness. Therefore matter begets consciousness. I am willing to be very open to the idea that perhaps consciousness begets matter. Now, the mechanics of that I can't go into because I don't know. I have no idea. I've just got like wild speculations and flailing my arm, wide-eyed, you know, rants. But um, it's something I'm very open to. But I don't know, man. Bigfoots are biological. They're like bears but different. I agree. They're as biological as hell. They just have these fantastic capabilities that we either don't have or just haven't developed. There are certainly people with amazing capabilities as well and they you have to develop them you know these uh uh yogis and stuff have uh, a great deal of uh experience with uh nonverbal you know kinds of complex communication telepathy and stuff but it, it takes develop you have to develop it yeah I, I can't speak much to yogis but i can speak to bobo <laughs> Oh, that was a good joke. That was a damn fine joke. Bump. You got to admit. Good one, Cliff. Good one. Well, after that kind of discussion, there, it, it's kind of a step back to uh, talk about who saw Bigfoot run across the road. <laughs> yeah, who had a half-second glimpse right, of a blurry yeah, thing running across the road. One of my prouder moments was the time I stumped Dr. Meldrum, who's a devout Mormon. I said, um, I was talking like the message, like that time I got that message in Tom's backyard up outside of Portland up there <laughs> on the Clackamas where I heard branches breaking coming up the forest line and then it snapped a big branch. What you found out later was about a five incher, mm-hmm. snapped that. And I just heard loud and clear my brain, we're here. And that's all it said. 
but it freaked me out. And you were there sleeping there next to me, Clip, and you slept through the whole thing. But mm -hmm. that's, telling, that's uh, always how it goes. One person hears it, and the other person's fast asleep. <laughs> yeah. So I was talking to Meldrum, and I said, well, Jeff, I mean, you, you pray right? He goes, yeah. And I said, can God hear you pray? He said, yes. And I said, well, did you have to open your mouth and say it? Or can you just, you know, thought project it to me? He said, well, I, I don't. I usually do it silently. I said, well, that would prove that your brain has the ability to send a nonverbal message. And if the other receiver set up to receive that message would get it because that's what prayer is. And he said, prayer is an attempt at telepathic communication. Yeah. So he was like, he said, he goes, you, you got me there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jeff, man. What a great, because because he just a pretty straight guy, Mormon, no coffee, no beer, I mean, the whole thing. Like he told me, I went out to the woods from with him for a week this past summer. You know, he was telling me like, uh, you know, Cliff, sometimes when I've got a long drive ahead of me, I'll have a Mountain Dew. Ooh. <laughs> oh my God, really, a Mountain Dew. Dude, slow do, down. Do Mormons have confession? <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> Caffeine. He told, he told me that one time, too, and I said, well, at least you're not doing code red Mountain Dew, double the caffeine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cry for help. <laughs> yeah, I got that intervention. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so uh, Meldrum is very open to a lot of weird stuff. Doesn't mean he believes you. Right. Doesn't mean he agrees, um, but it. But he's always respectful and listens even to the most wacky, wild stuff. He, he is our He is our field's best ambassador. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I couldn't be happier to, that, that he... Uh, makes us look good the way he does. Yeah. I wish you could say the same thing. Right. Yeah, he can't say the same about us. <laughs> <laughs> right, he shakes his head. <laughs> but no, he's uh, he lets his hair down more and more every time we see him at these conferences. Uh, he'll come to the impromptu jam session in the uh somebody's room in the motel and hang out he's uh he's a very down-to-earth guy he is anything but a stuffy academia yeah i couldn't agree with you more he's a really mellow guy uh, uh i got to spend 10 days in a row with that guy actually more than that yeah because he came out um for last summer's one of my expeditions last summer he was the guest, you know, and uh, he came out the day before. So he showed up early at my on my property in the middle of the afternoon and we hung out. I showed him around on the property and uh, made dinner with him, hung out with my wife and I uh, spent the night here. Then I spent three nights with him um, on one of my expeditions. And then that very next day, we dropped by my house, threw some stuff in the garage and spent another five or six nights together or seven nights together out um, at the Blueberry Bog. Um, and I got, and I'll tell you, man, no Bigfoot stuff was happening. It was dead quiet. So, uh, I got to have a lot of amazing conversations mm -hmm. with Meldrum, um, about everything from paleoanthropology to the nature of consciousness, to the history of the Mormon religion, you name it, man. We had a, a, a really nice time basically just getting to know each other. I can honestly call him a friend, you know? What do you think of the giant thing? Do you, these giant skeletons, do you think that has anything to do with Bigfoot? I've been diving into that one, too. That's kind of an up-and-coming thing. I keep hearing about it. There's more books than ever. Yeah, and a lot of it's hoaxes and old, like, you know, before Photoshop, whatever they called it back then, the photo manipulation. And uh, But there is some there is some true stories in there, though. I know that. So it, I don't know. I don't, I don't believe these stories you hear about, like, giants today, like, over in the Middle East or... Some people report them in North America. I don't. I don't buy that. 
Shrine of Kandahar was one that surfaced right. from the Afghanistan uh, uh, region there. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, the question is, was the Smithsonian given stuff that then they, uh, you know, stashed away and and refused to uh, show around? They just admitted they did. Well, I, I think there's a paper trail there. These guys, Zimmerman and uh, Vieri, uh, who've done these books, are uh, able to show that there was stuff that was uh, cataloged that was seven and eight foot skeletons. I'm told there's still one on display in a museum somewhere in Ecuador, maybe in Quito. Ron Moorhead just went down there. Oh, wow. And did you hear anything about what he might he have? Said, he said it's real. He said they're there. He got to see them, huh? I think so. I can't remember. God, I talked to him. There was, it was loud and there was a lot of people right. talking. But yeah, he was. We got to get this in Cliff's museum. Uh, maybe these uh, Ecuadorians will uh, give us a, a loner uh, specimen. <laughs> right. Or at least make some molds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the ones that were supposedly given the Smithsonian uh, do have cards uh, by way of cataloging, but Smithsonian isn't saying diddly squat. So, I don't know. Cover up, you be the judge. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that fascinates me right now. I mean, I've, I've gotten to the point where Sasquatch in and of itself is, is not as interesting to me as it used to be because I kind of get it, you know? I'm not saying I understand the phenomenon top to bottom, but I, I understand that there's a phenomenon there that... that we can't really measure because it's probably smarter than we are or every bit as smart as we are. And it seems that it has its own set of instructions and that is stay in the shadows uh, and you answer to some other power center. Anyway, I see the Saskies, the Sasquatch as uh, subservient to another power center. And they uh, they do a lot of the heavy lifting here on the uh, terra firma, but they're not calling the shots. Right. They're kind of more indentured so servants. Yeah. Well, subservient to another, to the to the other ones. And so obviously, what that says is E.T. and Sasquatch uh, are in some form homies. They know each other. And uh, uh, those kinds of ideas actually uh, are even biblical. You know, they talk about the Nephilim in the uh, Old Testament, and uh, and they're the beings that dwell within the earth. Uh, but then the angels are the uh, the ones that come from above. Uh, but certainly the uh, Demons below are seen biblically as outcasts from the uh, angels above, right? It wasn't something about uh, Gabriel having a split with uh, Lucifer, who is it? Uh, yeah, anyway. Biblically, there's a thing there. And then they got these clay tablets that they find in Iraq, which... Uh, Zacharias Sitchin was the guy who translated them all, and 
And darn if he wasn't getting the same stories as uh, that which appears in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, but, you know, the big one that's only happened in November, Bobo, is they've shown that Noah's flood really happened. And it happened because an asteroid or comet hit the ice pack at the end of the ice age 9,800 years ago. The whole fucking thing melted and sea level rose 300 feet in a matter of days worldwide. Flooding the Nile Delta, flooding Atlantis, which was the Azores, and uh, basically every single ancient culture has a flood myth. And now, since as of November uh, of last year, 2018, uh, I guess it's Norwegian University, Stockholm, uh, they were using American radar data to find underneath the ice cap in Greenland on what's called the Hiawatha Ice Shelf, a huge crater that would have penetrated two miles of ice at the end of the Ice Age. I mean, it caused the end of the Ice Age. That's why the Ice Age ended is because probably as many as three large rocks came in at the same time. One is sitting in the bottom of Lake Ontario. One is Saginaw Bay, Lake Huron. And the third one is that one under the Hiawatha Ice Sheet in northern Greenland. And we just got peppered 9,800 years ago. And the, all the Clovis people disappeared. All of the megafauna of North America was wiped out. All these oreodonts and, and elephants and, well, you know, uh, what do you call them? The mammoths and stuff. That there was always a mystery. Why did those things always so suddenly disappear right around 9,800 years ago? And when was the Missoula flood that roared down the Columbia River 9,800 years ago? Now they finally have an answer for it. Whenever these people go, oh, it was an asteroid, the first thing the scientists say is, show me the hole, show me the hole. So they got the hole. That's what happened in November of last year. They were able to show that this is a 15-mile hole in the ground, which corresponds to a 1.6-mile diameter object. That would have been um, climate-changing worldwide, not to mention the rise in sea level. So that is what the NOAA thing is all about. And what it appears is that there is a scientific basis for this crazy NOAA thing. Now, what he loaded in his ark probably wasn't one of everything in the world or two. It's probably his livestock, which he used to keep himself alive until uh, the flood abated and he was able to go back onto terra firma. And he would have had to have something to eat. Well, guess what? All your chickens and goats <laughs> might come in kind of handy. Fresh food. <laughs> yeah, because the ark was giant when they the dimensions of it. The thing was massive. Anyway, it's crazy that the uh, when Bretz was uh, trying to prove his crazy flood idea back in the 1940s, the reason they didn't like it is because they thought he was trying to get toward Noah and the flood. And scientifically, they just have this problem with Noah's flood as a scientific actual event. But we took a huge step closer to showing that, no, uh, there was a worldwide flood. And it probably happened 
because a asteroid or lar- or group of asteroids slammed into us at a very specific time that they can now very uh, precisely uh, identify. Now crazy. It is. Yeah, so that's like the biggest like new scientific thing that I've picked up uh, lately. And uh, what it says is that if you couldn't go underground for a period of maybe 10 or maybe 100 years, that Earth's climate uh, was all of a sudden freaking wrecked, like no sunlight at all, no growing season at all, and everything thrown in a winter. The only way place you would be safe is underground. So you'd have to live underground for I don't know how long, but long enough for conditions to then improve. Uh, by the way, they call this time in the geologic scale. They know it's there. They call it the younger Dryas. Uh, there was a younger and an older Dryas. Dryas is like a type of pollen that only is associated with Arctic plants. And so they find they go at 9,800 years ago, the Earth's climate was thrown into this ice cold thing uh, for some strange reason. And and uh, even in uh, the tropics and they're going, well, that's because, you know, the uh, the aftermath of this impact was uh, it was just like a hundred Krakatoa volcanoes happened at the same time. And so nobody was getting any sunlight. Everything starved and died that was big and couldn't go underground. So, you know, the Clovis people, uh, which were considered pretty advanced, totally disappeared from North America 9,800 years ago. And uh, the Saskies, on the other hand, would have gone underground because that's what they do. And then they're uh, at least somewhat protected against this uh, younger Dryas event in in the uh, world climatic record. I've always been interested in that. I took some geology courses in college and there there was all kinds of speculation about that. But it's cool they're finally getting some solid answers. Do and there's this one guy who really talks it up, Randall Carlson, and he's the guy who has been saying it for a long time, like 15, 20 years, uh, and he's got a lot of stuff on uh, YouTube uh, where he explains his ideas. But what's cool is that only in the past six months has his um, claims suddenly gotten some uh, a real shot in the arm. He he's got. Uh, scientific fact on his side for something that he's been saying for 15, 20 years. Uh, the other one's Graham Hancock, who's been talking about, you know, if you if you melted an ice pack in a hurry, you would have a big fat mess. <laughs> right. But all your drinks would be cold. Yeah. <laughs> There's also, you know, you probably know about this, Tom, the last time the uh, uh, magnetic pole switched, it, the Earth's completely stopped i guess for uh was it a half hour or something like that and then it started spinning again i know i, I may be the skeptic here but I, I don't think that's even physically possible everything would go flying that's yeah the- yeah the earth stopped <laughs> and everything on top of it wouldn't is the thing and we're traveling quite fast like what what is it it's 24 thousand mm-hmm. miles an hour is that right yeah it's about right isn't it 23,000 miles an hour 23 is that what it is i know i think you know oh, wait i don't know we're going the earth is spinning at a thousand miles an hour oh that's right yeah 24 that's where i got the 24 23,000 in one day right there you go uh, so it's a little less than that yeah 
Right. In other words, the Earth is 22,000 miles around, so it takes one day to spin 22,000, so that ends up being a little less than 1,000 miles an hour. Yeah, there you go. I was say, I, this, this didn't seem like 24,000 because uh, mm. it didn't look like it did before. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want it to stop all of a sudden, though. That no. would suck. No, it's going to be over there at 1,000 miles an hour. So, Tom, so that last ice age, like when all the land bridges were happening, mm-hmm. that all ended in like a day when that meteor hit? Well, yeah, I, uh, 60 feet overnight to sea level rose. And then 300 feet over the next year. And huge pieces of ice were ejected into the atmosphere and came raining down onto all these places. Everybody just got pummeled with bits of flying ice. And the holes are still in these places in North Carolina and South Carolina and uh, and Nebraska. They call them the rainwater uh, something in Nebraska, but then they, they call them the uh, the Carolina bays. And the reason they call them bays is because bay leaves grow in them. And they're these big, like, holes, but they're not as big as asteroid craters, but they're caused by huge hunks of ice that landed with a big splot and made this hole. And the holes are all elliptical, and the long axis of the eclipse points at where they would have come from. Uh, and they darn if they don't all point to Saginaw Bay, which is Lake Huron. So they're going there. So that's a meteor crater. And uh, the 2,000 feet of ice got airborne and just rained down over the whole rest of the continent. <laughs> and if you were outside, you got pummeled <laughs> badly. Uh-huh. So isn't it crazy? Is there, um, are you aware of any Native American legends talking about that? I haven't seen any myself. Uh, now, of course, the Native Americans weren't known for writing a lot of things down. Uh, they had a language, but they didn't have much written language. And then whatever was written in this continent was burned by the Spaniards when they showed up in the well, how, 1500s. How long ago was this cataclysm supposed to happen? Uh, 9,800. You know, because um, the I think the eruption that eventually resulted in Crater Lake was something like ten thousand years or something. Yeah, it yeah. Could have been. Seventy-five. They, I was just going to bring that up. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. seventy-five hundred years. Well, uh, well, there you go. And they and um, you can look at the Klamath people's uh, stories and find uh, you know stories about that happening. Mm-hmm. With, you know, in their interpretation of what was going on at the time. Mount Mazama is what they call the mountain that blew it blew itself up. Oh yeah, right. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Well, there's there should be something, especially from the local native folks um, that were out there. Yeah. Because uh, oral tradition, though it, you know, if, if people would think, oh, you know, the telephone game, right? You go around in a circle in a classroom and suddenly you're not hearing the same story anymore. But uh, actual studies on oral tradition indicate that they remain extremely accurate to two, 300 years or something like that. And um, you can still hear the the story itself echoing throughout, you know, hundreds or I'm sorry, thousands of years mm-hmm. in some cases. Um so there would be some distortion or some change or something as might make sense or whatever, but they do depict real actual happenings. Well, we've uh, kind of left Bigfoot behind, but uh, yeah, we're way I'm beyond. happy to go with some uh, big picture stuff, you the, know. The podcast is called Bigfoot and Beyond. Mm-hmm. Good, good. 
Well, like more and more, I, I favor the big picture, and that's why I'm into this whole thing about unification, that, that they aren't separate. If you really want to understand uh, one phenomena, Sasquatch, say, I really think it, it behooves you to become a student to the other ones. Uh, and so that's why I started reading all the UFO books. And I remember Loch Ness Monster. That's one I just laughed at. And then one day I was at a conference in Denver and uh, there was a guy there to do a talk on uh, Loch Ness Monster. And I was having lunch with him. And I'm like, really, dude? So are you, you're serious? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said in his Scottish brogue <laughs> that, look, dude, um, I don't come to the Pacific Northwest and tell you there's no such thing as Bigfoot. You would know, not me. Uh, I don't. Uh, I live in Inverness, Scotland. You're in the Pacific Northwest and you're telling me it's all fake. Well, I'm telling you, you don't know the half of it. There's so many uh, Loch Ness monster sightings that never uh, make the light of day, but they're locally known. He said, "There's, there's a sighting of the Loch Ness monster crossing the road and going into the water." Yeah, Cliff and I both went to up there to Scotland to Loch Ness, and we did a little mm -hmm. Nessie search, kind of just have. Mm -hmm. I think I remember something about that. Yeah. Well, the coolest part was going out with Adrian Shine, the dude that you know, the beard dude. Because uh, he has been doing this sort of thing since, you know, the 70s or even, perhaps even earlier. I don't really know his history. But he's like the Peter Byrne of, uh, you know, Loch Ness because he's been doing it for so long. Mm. There's very definitely something there, even though it's anecdotal and it, people insist. But, you know, when 15 people are saying they saw the same thing, I think you can take that to the bank. So it's there. But the rest of the time, it's not. Now, either it's a ghost, as in it's something that was once there and it re-manifests because of some warp in, in time or space. I, I think that's a very definite possibility uh, that it is a, a, something that once lived and had such a strong presence that it just re-manifests. Uh, but uh, the other possibility is, of course, that they don't always live here, but they can cross realms. I don't even like to say dimensions because I'm not even sure what dimensions are. I mean, we inhabit three, but going into the next dimension is just one more. Don't you want all four? <laughs> so dimensions. You want, you want your dimensions up. quadraphonic. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Uh, you, you know, Tom, though, but uh, from people I talked to when we were back there was that they said the uh, Loch Ness Monster was a type of giant eel, the same as you have here in North America, mm -hmm. like the river serpents. And they followed, they would come in with the salmon and follow the salmon up. When there was a salmon around, that's when they'd see it. And then it would go back down, go back so up. It's, it's an ocean. So it's transitory is what uh, it is. Yeah. And when they built a dam at Loch Ness, when they built the new dam, they couldn't get back in and they haven't had any sightings since then. Wow. When was this dam? That's right. I do remember hearing about this. Was it I, 10 years? So they were anadromous. That's what you call it in salmon when they live right. in the ocean but return to spawn. So they uh, Loch Ness, Nessie was an anadromous. Uh, interesting. Well, that puts it into the realm of the biological. Yeah. But I didn't 
really think much about river serpents or anything until uh, Bobo, you and I went big footing on the um, in, on the Klamath River um, for for the Monster Quest episode back in 2008. Yeah. What was that? That was the Urox, right? Yeah. So the Yurok Reservation, when you and I got invited out there to go do that, um, and we were asking all the folk who live along the river who uh, live in homes that aren't even accessible by roads. Like, they don't have cars, or if they do it, they're at a parking lot downstream by the boat launch, um, and they live out on the river, basically, in, in some really amazing areas. Like, Of course, we're looking for Bigfoot. And he said, hey, have you ever seen a Bigfoot before? And several of the people said, no, no, I never saw a Bigfoot. Uh, I saw one of them river serpents, so. Like, what? You know? Kamos. Amos. Is that what they're called? Yeah, Kamos. Well, yeah, and, and two or I think we spoke to three witnesses. I remember uh the Carlsons had a couple witnesses in their family, and I don't remember who else. It, it was it was that episode that we filmed together that kind of put river serpents on my radar. And um when we had a chance to go to Loch Ness, like we were talking about, it, it occurred to me, this is not really out of the um, margin of error as far as uh, latitude goes. Uh, it is a northern sort of ocean, a northern latitude. And when you think about, okay, so these river serpents come up river from northern California all the way through Oregon and Washington and into uh, southern Alaska um, and British Columbia and Canada. And, like That's the right latitude. And it's the same latitude over, but in, it's, it happens to be in Europe is all. Why couldn't it be just a, a, a very rare, very large species that has a worldwide distribution in those latitudes as many, many marine fish already have? You know, uh, you find yellowtail in the tropical in the tropics, and tuna in the tropics. You find uh, six-gilled sharks in the in the colder waters, you know, the northern latitudes. And so why couldn't it be one of those? Just a perfectly biological thing. Yeah, and like the, I know that the U.S. Navy off the coast of Oregon had three things on their sonar that were 40 to 60 feet long that were jamming out in front of a one of those submarine killer boats. And they were chasing it, and they were going... I think that boat was going, it was capable of like 28 or 32 knots, somewhere around there. And these ah. things were going up 40 knots and diving. They were going, you know, at about a 45 degree angle away from the, the ship. But they, they were going so fast, they, could, they, they lost them. They just lost them. But those things showed up on the sonar. And the Navy had admitted that. And then when I was up in the Quinault Reservation in the Olympic Peninsula of Washington, this, gosh, maybe 20 years ago, these guys, when I was talking to them about Bigfoot stuff, they showed me at the at their uh, fish processing plant. They had these old nets that they they'd set, uh, you know, gill nets going across the, the whole river, and they'd pull them in and you know get the salmon out. But at times when those river serpents were in there, they'd pull the net out and it'd just be full of holes where the thing ate the salmon out of the nets. And they said that you can't catch them because they'll snap any line. And then if, you, if they get in the net, they can chew their way through. They have big, sharp teeth they can just chew out of the net. So they've never caught one, but they've seen them plenty of times. Hmm. Yeah, and of course, those can't be sturgeon. Uh, but that's uh, the, the common rebuttal no, to the whole right. sea. Sturgeon have like a sucker mouth. Thing. Yeah, and they're like yeah. big plated things. And they're seen. You know, people would probably recognize. And they also don't get 30 feet long, you know. Well, they do. <laughs> no, no, they don't. They get like 15 to 20 are the biggest mm. ones. You know, they're, they are giant fish, mm. but they don't get much above 20, maybe 21 or well, something. Well, the earliest ones they caught were enormous. Uh, and then those, you know stop being caught the ones they catch nowadays aren't 
quite as big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are some big ones in the river, but they they couldn't be mistaken for one of these. I think. No. Yeah, especially if you're if you're a river dwelling native, you got to have more respect than saying, "Oh, you're just seeing sturgeon." Like these guys live there; they they subsist on it. They know what they're seeing. Mm, well, we get the same thing in the Sasquatch biz, and that is, oh, you just saw a bear. Yeah. And, oh, I bear can walk upright, and so it's it's always easy to be dismissive. And scientifically, what is it? It's anecdotal. You're it's somebody's story, and that is is inadmissible in in scientific court. So you're shut down, but that does not stop you as a researcher from gathering this shit and trying to make sense of it, looking for patterns, and lo and behold, the patterns are definitely there. And the more we study them, the crazier the patterns get. Absolutely. Yeah, people ask me, like, are you like a Bigfoot expert? And I just tell them, There's no no such thing. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell them, I thought I had this stuff figured out 15 years ago. I thought, oh, it's a Gigantopithecus. Da, 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 and I'm way more confused now than then. <laughs> well, and that's what Ron Moorhead, uh, what you, that's the takeaway from his book too, uh, is that uh, it's, it's more confusing than ever, uh, especially if you try to embrace uh, things like quantum physics. But um, yeah, it, uh, it's a strange world we live in. And, and I think we're finally getting some answers uh, for the first time, I, I think the idea of dimensionality is the key. Uh, it doesn't mean they're multidimensional beings. It just means that they have this way of getting from here to there in much less than the usual time. But I suppose that even if they're from somewhere else, whether we're talking about E.T., Sasquatch, or both, they, um, they're three-dimensional beings on their home planet. But they just have this way of crossing realms, and it has to do with these magnetic intersections on and in the Earth where these ley lines uh, uh, form nexus, nexi of magnetism. And that's why these ancient cathedrals are on these places. That's why Stonehenge and these other magical places are where they are. Because something's going on with those areas, and we're we're just now refiguring it out. My favorite word for it, that to me, their description works great, is the Hawaiian word mana, mm-hmm. like the ener- the energy in all things on Earth. Yeah, yeah, I know what mana is. I play video games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Different thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> to you, stay out of my fantasies. Classic. Yeah, it's uh there there uh, is a way to travel that is sort of uh very einsteinian and it has to do with opening up these vortexes which is the same thing as a black hole but it's something that is able to be sort of like kept open so that it doesn't slap shut and kill you you know right <laughs> it's really interesting but Uh, These guys at Caltech are totally working on these problems, and a lot of what they're doing is actually falls into the the category of state secrets. But, you know, little by little, the stuff trickles out because other people figure it out, too, or hear from them. But uh, Kip Thorne is one of these guys who talks about traversable wormholes. 
and uh, there's this thing. That's a great band name. Holy yeah, crap. Traversable Wormholes. I think there is already one. I, I was in Taos, New Mexico, and I think there was, it was very similar to that name, and they were suitably spacey. But um, huh. it is it is an idea that I think is uh, really kind of hot right now is the idea of um, vortexes that uh, can be traveled through. And it does imply faster than light uh, uh, communication, or not communication, travel. But that's another thing that Ron Moorhead kind of treats in his uh, quantum Sasquatch book is that that there is such a thing as faster than light travel, and humans do it all the time. It's called thought. Well, you know that that's interesting because um, I I'm a fan of math and physics. Uh, yeah, no. a fan. A fan. <laughs> I've got posters on the wall. <laughs> this is the communication. You have autographs. <laughs> the transitive property. Yeah, I get excited about that. You know, so uh, so I'm a fan of math and mm. physics and all that stuff. And um, I, so math. I watch a lot of documentaries on physics and astronomy and such. And um, when uh, when faster than light travel pops up. An interesting thing that comes out is apparently the equations don't um, prohibit this. Right. Now, I don't, I guess, I don't know. It's called string theory. Well, yeah, because, okay, so things you can't – if you normally move slower than the speed of light, you can never move faster. But if you it's not good for your health. No, <laughs> it, it just rips your hair out. It doesn't like like it flow nicely behind you. It just rips it, it makes out. Makes your eyelids peel back. Yeah, and who wants to look like that? No amount of uh, mascara can fix that. But anyway, uh, but if you always travel faster than the speed of light, you are not allowed to travel slower than it. So right. it's a speed limit, but from both directions. Mm -hmm. You can never cross this line, whether you approach it from slower Maybe if you or cross faster. It, you can't go back, too. I don't know. I think it just takes too too much energy is mm -hmm. the issue. Um, and again, I'm not a physicist. I don't even play one on TV. Right. Well, I know that when you go faster than light, because of E equals MC squared, your mass becomes infinite. I, and I think that's the problem. It has to do with like, with, yeah, because you talk about, okay, I need to go on a diet. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, how am I going to lose that? Doesn't sound healthy. How am I going to shed that, <laughs> no, that, that number no of LBs? mass, right. I <laughs> know, <laughs> uh, that would suck. But I digress, all mm, of you. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, I think uh, we're, we're sort of at... Uh, doorstep of a new brave new world uh i wish i lived long enough to see it all flesh out i doubt i will but um i think the idea of crossing realms and getting uh across the galaxy in uh in something a lot faster than 186,000 miles a second is uh, gonna be the future and you know i've even had people say it's look the Pentagon has an office on everything. You you think they aren't looking into this stuff? There's a whole lot more they got that they're not sharing. But um, yes, there are possibilities are there. We've already been to Mars, stuff like that. You've probably heard. Oh yeah, they meant people. Well, that that that. I think that's what it? he was suggesting. It's Tom Powell, dude. Edwin Mitchell wasn't he the astronaut who was so forthcoming about like we need to quit hiding the things that are really known the guy he's he died recently and he was a big ufo proponent but his you know he's had credibility because he'd been to the moon 
Edgar Mitchell. That's his name. Is that what it is? Edgar Mitchell. I guarantee it. And uh, he just died. I think he was Apollo 18, Hmm. one of the later missions. Uh, But he went on to be very outspoken about, you know, his disdain for military and and secrets. He, He just, he said, if you think that our only access to space is jet propulsion, you're terribly wrong. Well, you know, um, remember the 2016 election, like you can forget, um, <laughs> and the the trying, the, I'm trying. <laughs> the WikiLeaks um, stuff, mm-hmm. and they hacked Podesta's emails. Oh, now um, if you you can go to WikiLeaks leaks and actually use a search function to look for keywords in all of his emails, mm-hmm. which is a horrible intrusion of privacy, et cetera. But well, that's somebody else's problem. Yeah, that's his problem, right? Not mine, because it turns out there's some interesting things in his emails. Emails. Right. Um, if you you can look up, I think the word is celestials or UFOs. Oh. Right? Yeah, and that sort of thing. And and there's amazing stuff in there about some really wacky uh, um, extraterrestrial intelligence and, and 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 you know what some military folks might classify as intelligence, mm-hmm. etc. But uh, yeah, if anybody's listening and wants to get weird for a little while, go check that stuff out. Intel, right? right. Yeah, intel from the leaked documents. Or if they know a lot about that. Let us know, and we'll have you on. Oh, there is so much going. I mean, it is uh, it is huge. There, there are just hundreds of people gathering and publishing. Uh, in, so it is an uh, interesting time. There's so much information being daylighted for the first time. So how do you wade through all that? You don't. You and- let other people do it for you. Oh. You can't. You take it's a managerial position. Rooms full of documents. Right. Uh, somebody has to be the nerd and go through it. Yeah. Has to have good judgment about what is there. It might help to have it done through two or three times, but it's not going to be by me. I got my own shit to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's yeah. There's like, there's gardening. But, uh, but uh, you know. But but there are lots of enthusiastic people who wanna. Uh, take it on, and and hallelujah for that. I hope they have good reading retention. And it's just beginning. I think these state secrets are falling by the wayside more and more, and uh, being daylighted. I think we're probably just at the beginning of, uh, of a whole bunch of stuff being similarly, you know, hacked and found out, or people just get on the deathbed and they go, I don't care anymore. And that phenomenon is already happening. That was Edgar Mitchell and Philip Corzo and these guys who were going, I don't care. They can't hurt me anymore. I'm going to die the day after tomorrow. Here's what I know. Deathbed, you know, that's interesting. Although uh, to be fair, if I'm on my deathbed and I have a confession to make, it's a lie. Yeah. Well, if I say, hey, my entire life, I've actually been living inside out. Well, or they say you're already delusional. There's a lot of ways to kick your legs out from under you. And I'll do that to myself. If they want the secret kept. Mm -hmm. But um, if you read these guys who write the books, especially those, you know, to where it's written down somewhere and saved, that's where... um, you start to see that, yeah, there's a bunch of secrets and big fucking deal. Nobody yeah. cares. 
Uh, or let's just say it's been covered in Star Trek episodes by now. It's right. not as shocking anymore. <laughs> so they're big, important secret. I like to, you know, oh, it will just cause people to cause rioting and cause religion to collapse. No, it won't. Uh, it's it's the excuse they're using to keep it secret. But it's like it's a Star Trek episode. <laughs> yeah, what isn't? <laughs> Why are they keep it a secret, do you think? Well, number one, if you can't explain it, the best way to do it is to keep it secret because nobody wants to have to fess up to the fact we don't even, I, you know, I'm paid to understand this shit and I don't understand it. So that's reason one, to keep it secret. So you don't have to explain it. Number two, it is, of course, has potential tactical value, you know, uh, if you can, you know, shapeshift or something like that, then goddamn right the military wants to know about it. Uh, you know, the, I think the big thing is what we were talking about before is they can be there, but you can't see them, and that's because they're bending light around their being, and that is a concept that is definitely uh, the military has operable suits that bend the light around the guy who's wearing the suit so the guy who's wearing the suit cannot be seen. Uh, they have, uh, you know, technology that can do that. But it is, you know, uh, at least on its operational relevance, it's very secret because, you know, you can imagine. <laughs> what does that look like on Thermal Imager? Right, and and other things as well would would pick you up, but at least visually, optically, uh, you have cover. You were on the Skookum expedition when the Skookum cast was gotten, weren't you? I was sort of the uh, outfitter of the Skookum expedition. Um, you know, Matt certainly organized the expedition, and it was really built around this Australian film crew. Uh, who was coming stateside, wanted to film some shit for a thing called uh, Animal X, I believe. Was that it? sounds about right. I Animal think there was an X, X in there. Was, that was, and it was a very early cable treatment of cryptids in general. You know, they would do Ogopogo, Thylacine. They were doing a Bigfoot one. So they were coming here, and they had this dun-dun-dun thermal camera this yeah, was like in the nine thousand dollar one or something like some i guess it was two thousand it was two thousand not twenty two thousand okay that's year two thousand nineteen ninety oh no how much the thermal imager was well twice. it was a piece of shit it was <laughs> the battery life was like 11 seconds it was really low res but oh this was gonna we were gonna get the goods and so that was actually what caused the outing to be, uh, you know, organized in the first place. But Matt is not a logistics-minded person in any way, shape, or form. And uh, so he needed somebody to get the food and dishes and extra sleeping bags together uh, because he's not a detail guy that way. He was just dealing with the media. So I was the... I got all the food, and Joe gave me a bunch of firewood, a couple of bottles of scotch to give to the Aussies and share with them. And 
I mean, he Joe was really thoughtful, but then Matt, for some reason, decided Joe was just an unnecessary expense, and so he cut Joe loose. <laughs> some bad feelings there. But um, everything that Joe supposed was true, the Aussies showed up without adequate sleeping bags. They didn't have any food. They were dying for a snort of scotch. All of a sudden, yeah, the whole thing came together because we had the right stuff for these out-of-towners who came completely unprepared. And uh, so we snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. The, the thing would have been a, a bust, but uh, we did have the stuff and uh, it all happened. But um, the most amazing thing was just that for five days, we looked for prints and did all of the you know, standard uh, stuff. And then on the, with one day left, I finally said, look, we've done it your guys' way for five days or at least four. Let's think outside the box for our one last day. And they're like, what are you talking about? They're knowing full well that we had nothing at that point in the exhibition. We didn't have Z, we had, we heard some good callbacks from our loudspeaker the first night. And that was it. So then uh, I said, let's put some food out. Let's put, uh, we're gonna put food out, you know, gifting. And uh, uh, at the time that was a pretty radical <laughs> uh, idea. And uh, so those guys said, well, we're going out to film some thermal imaging with our camera before the batteries die. <laughs> So we'll, we'll take some food and they took, so they took a bunch of the fruit we had all organic from Leroy's orchard and my orchard, and they put it at a few different places. Uh, so they chose the spot. I didn't, I su suggested the idea, they didn't. And then um, they went back to that spot in the morning and the fruit that they left had been disturbed and the mud that they left the fruit in didn't have footprints in it, but it did have these other mysterious impressions. And Leroy proceeded to walk right across it. So Leroy's vibram soul is in the skookum gas because <laughs> he didn't see it. But Rick was the one, Rick Knoll, who said, oh, my God, look at this. And uh, hey, Derek, get over here. Look, that kind of looks like a forearm. That looks like an elbow. That looks like a fucking butt right there. And uh, on that basis, they actually realized. So then next thing I know, Rick comes roaring into camp. I'm just getting out of my tent, snow everywhere. And Rick's like, Tom, you can't believe it. Come here, come here. <laughs> you were right, you were right. <laughs> I'm like, just show me it, Rick. So we went up there and darned if uh, there was. Uh, and by then, Derek was absolutely 100% convinced. Leroy is frothing at the mouth with excitement. Uh, and uh, and now these film guys, for the first time, had something to actually film. And uh, so, uh, of course, their batteries were dead. <laughs> but... Uh, they figured it out and uh, they, they finally got their show. 
And uh, it was a weird thing. And it would be easy for someone to go, oh, you staged it. They were desperate, yada, yada. But it's like, uh, no, that isn't the way it went at all. It was very haphazard. Uh, I made a suggestion. They reluctantly agreed. They went up and checked. I had nothing to do with it, the actual execution. But it, it was my idea. Go put some food out. It does seem like it didn't leave footprints, but it just laid down across the mud so that it wouldn't leave footprints. And again, in this day and age, that's not such a radical idea that the Saskies are that smart. But, you know, this is still in the days of uh, we were still looking for wild mountain gorillas. We didn't know what uh, we were looking for, but we thought, ah, they just dig a hole and cover the sticks. We'll catch one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's classic just like on the road runner <laughs> right and for people listening that don't don't know what we're talking about the skookum cast is a body print of like what do they think it was about seven and a half eight foot tall yeah yeah the miracle is that they he had the plaster in his truck and the only reason he had all that plaster is because uh he was bringing it for uh leroy rick could get the the uh, what do you call the heavy plaster that they use for garden statuary? Like uh, hydrocal? Hydrocal. And so he was bringing this hydrocal to give to Leroy, and he had three or four bags of it in his truck, and they were going to exchange it. And then I had three or four bags of regular plaster, which we used to back because we just put the first coat was hydrocal, and we were afraid it was too thin and it would break when we lifted it out, so we backed it with plaster. And that worked out pretty good. Gave it yeah. enough mass. And yeah, then we had to break that bad boy loose from the mud, which, you know, if you have ever taken a track cast out, you know, you got to dig a trench around the track cast and then you rotate it back and forth till it breaks its connection with the, with the dried mud. And so we had to do that with this thing. We had to dig this big trench around this big old square of plaster and then ever so carefully twist it back and forth until it was broken free from the uh, ground. And then we wanted to get it up and onto some cradle where we wouldn't have to move it again because we knew the plaster, you know, you're just eager to do it. The plaster isn't near full strength yet. It takes days for plaster to reach full strength. Yeah, a week or two, really. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was quite the... Uh, intellectual challenge to do this right and not fuck it up and we did <laughs> <laughs> and I then i left because i knew that all right you could see that everybody was starting to position themselves for the camera it suddenly dawned on them that they had something great and i just went like my work here is done and i went home <laughs> and you guys can have it so there's film of this actually on your YouTube. Site. Yeah. Oh yes, there is. Yeah. Did you take that footage or? I did most of it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's Unless amazing. I'm in it, in which case somebody else was holding the camera. But no, I think for the most part I filmed it, and uh, that at least they were they were doing their own. Somebody else filmed it too, but I think I probably got more footage than anybody else because they were all busy, you know, wanting to be in there, be the one. Remember, cameras were rolling. <laughs> Right. And so I was just filming behind the camera of the Animal X dudes. Uh, and uh, so I, what do you call that when you pirate a copy of the film over the 
cameraman's shoulder. <laughs> There's illegal. a name for that yeah. in Hollywood. <laughs> a crime. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were good with it. They were so happy, and I hadn't signed any waivers or you good know. Point. Got them. You and got they them were like, you "Thank them. you, Tom." And besides, you were the one who had us sleeping bags and scotch. Right. <laughs> so I was there, buddy. Hey, Tom, you've had a sighting, didn't you? Have a brief sighting in daylight. I will say it wasn't much. Uh, I was floating down the river near my house and with my neighbor, and we were just the epitome of laid back, barefoot, beer in hand, 15 minutes from the launch point. So we hadn't gotten very far down the river, and I'm just staring blankly at the woods, and here was this head and shoulders peering, you know, almost cliche head and shoulders, just the way everybody draws the little Sasquatch form. And so I thought, oh, isn't that cute? It looks just like a head and shoulders. And then it ducked down. In other words, it went straight. It, it suddenly seemed to register that it was being seen. And it just went straight down right in front of my face. This was at the distance of about, I'd say, 50 to 60 yards. And uh, I was in a boat, and it was on the land behind some bushes. So. Right at that point, we were washing into a rapid, so I couldn't really stop. Uh, but I, it took me a while to really process what I even saw. But I did decide by the next 15 minutes later, oh, my God. And so I went back to that place that night with one of my camera traps, uh, my primitive, you know, early camera traps, and I put it on a tree. And I came back two days later, and I got a, a some sort of blurry thing uh, in this in the picture, but nothing that uh, is gonna rock the world. It ain't no Patterson Gimlin footage. That's for damn sure. It's it's a form that could be a person, uh, and it has some weird elements about it. But it was also about eight o'clock at night in late spring so the lighting wasn't very good all you're getting is a profile it's not anyway just a bunch of kind of sort is you still have that picture i oh yeah yeah i don't never seen that picture i'll be happy to show it to you it's nothing I, special i saw it. it yeah and it has a weird glow at the hip uh anyway it's there's there's some interesting things about it but um as sightings go, my sighting is nothing to, it's not like somebody even seeing it run across in front of their car. Uh, all I saw was an outline that looked pretty familiar and seemed to be trying to hide itself. But it, when I did, I did find the bush that it was behind and it was much bigger than if it was just some random hiker back there. Uh, you know, in that particular, you know, because it was a woods that could have had people in it. Uh, so you can't rule that out. But uh, when I finally zeroed in on the location, it was, it was uh, over my head uh, to be seen, if I was correct in my. Uh, so that's it. It's a bunch of circumstantial shit. Same old, same old. But Nothing you like your ones, Bobo. You um, uh, had a role in that uh, footage from the what was then called the Chehalis Project. Yeah. Yeah, where you, I believe it was IR 
a motion sensor IR camera hidden in a birdhouse. On we, a, we had it in the birdhouse. We had it in the beehive. We had it in a lot of things. But yeah, the bird, you know. The birdhouse is the one that actually produced those yeah. three frames of what could be a Sasquatch. Right. But the thing was there for two years. We got little or nothing. And then we finally decided to use the telepathics to request uh, cooperation. And we got cooperation within two weeks. Well, you say you were there sort for a of while. cooperation. I mean, we got our best image. It's still a profile. It's oh, yeah. No yeah. detail. Yeah, because footage is a uh, it's a real accomplishment. It's ex and I wouldn't call it footage. I'd call it inchage. I mean, it wasn't much. <laughs> no, sure, sure. It was, but it was uh, saved images. Do we were in the early days of this capture video capture technology, and we had this Intel guy Von Hughes who knew more than all the rest of us put together. So we were getting it done for the time, mm -hmm. but you could buy a better unit at Fry's Electronics today and stick it out. You know? But you were successful. Yes. And that's the yeah, thing. We, yeah. There were three frames, and you can see this. Right. Uh, maybe we'll put it on the members section or and something. There was more than three, but there was three particularly good ones yeah. that I show around when people say, "What do you? what's the best shit you got? Yeah. Uh, but... Um, that one sure looks like a profile of a Sasquatch. So yeah. once we got once we got the pictures, we realized pictures weren't going to get it done. So yeah. then I asked Steve Fredericks, the psychic, to the the animal whisperer, the horse whisperer, to say, could we please have a bone? And damned if we didn't get a bone. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Like days later, like 48 hours, and they were calling me, go, you're not going to believe this, but we just found a bone. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I just had Steve Frederick's ask for a bone because I hadn't told them, trying to be all double blind, so I didn't tell them to expect to find a bone. I did have the, my back channel ask for a bone, and within 48 hours, they called and said, we found a bone. So I think as far as weird coincidences or flat-out Sasquatch stories, that's one of the best ones I got right there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we found out the bone was an emu. and uh, We know they're real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but why was an emu bone there? Well, Alan's dad raised emus four miles away. They had emu skeletons in a pit. How did he get from there to here? Once again, we were being gamed. We were being basically fucked with. And that's my, you know, take on it all. But um, uh, we even went to back to the Animal Whisperer, Steve Fredericks, one more time and, and said, uh, so what are we supposed to think here? Very funny. <laughs> and uh, apparently what Steve Fredericks said, the only thing that he felt was the response was something along the lines of, you don't really think we're going to give you our relatives bones, do you? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. You know, I, I, I had kind of a similar thing when we were in Australia, and I was with those aboriginals, and I was with that guy who was like basically training to be the, the pope of the aboriginal uh, religious community down there. Like he was being trained. He got chosen as a 17-year-old, he spent 20 years being um, taught all the, the ways of like remote viewing and mm -hmm. all this, and like everything about, everything that they knew of uh, physical and spiritual, 
<laughs> that was awesome. Monkey again. Yeah. And he, uh, he, uh, I said, Hey, uh, you know, talk, cause he could communicate with him. And I said, Hey, ask them if they can, if we can, if they can show themselves, we'll film them and it'll help them protect their, the wow. lands they're worried about losing. Cause apparently they're this, when they psychically communicated with them, they said they were very upset about their sacred places being destroyed by the miners. So do you tell them to come out, let me film them. Uh, we can stop it guaranteed. And he talked to me and said, no, we can't do that. We can't let you film us. I said, well, can I at least hear him talk? And he said, um, they said they might be able to do that. I said, great. So we went out uh, the next night and he told us where to go. And we went, we walked down where he said to walk. And I had a just a, at the same moment that Cliff was about 200 yards ahead of me with the film crew, I was, I was behind those guys and a bunch of what were they fruit bats or fox bats? Those four foot tall bats, like mm-hmm. six foot wings, like yeah, they're called flying foxes. They're just giant fruit species. Bats. Of, yeah, giant species yeah. of fruit bats. Right? Yeah, they're like Indonesian. Or but they're something. huge. They're like a six foot wingspan. Yeah, so yeah. Well, like fifty of them took off at once out of the uh, foliage up above, like cliff. Like there were some above cliff, some above me, but like just tons of these giant flying foxes took off with these big beating wings, knocking down twigs. And but I could hear these things walking and talking down below and like it was i thought it was two old aboriginal men or something but they were in this cliff could tell you there was impassable thicket down there and right and the next day when i went back and told him i said yeah i heard him but we didn't they they, they did it when there was no recording guys there and he said well he said you didn't ask if you could record their voices you said you wanted to hear them and you did mm-hmm. right 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 they're very specific yeah you know when you wish with a genie you should be careful about how you word it uh, <laughs> yeah that's a twilight zone episode <laughs> uh, but we had bob faust he was another one of our communicators and guy edwards and i were sitting in on his session and he felt he was communicating with one that was up uh at the signal butte area up there south of mount hood and uh he felt the message was there's a rule easy can we can we see you was his uh request and the answer was by his report uh it's a rule uh to not be seen and i haven't screwed up yet and i'm not about to (laughs) now uh being seen is a screw up. The only thing worse than being seen is being photographed. Uh, so. I can think of a couple things worse. Yeah, this is them talking. Yeah, I'm, I'm a creative guy. But. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, so that was uh, amusing because I did not expect that. But I also knew that when he asked, uh, I thought, oh, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to hear this answer. And sure enough, it was like, no, we're not allowed. Uh, it's a rule. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So, Tom, I got a question for you. What do you think? Do you have a prediction of a something that will be discovered about Sasquatch when it's a recognized species that'll shock Bigfoot researchers now that they wouldn't think that was uh, true or possible about squatches? I guess the whole telepathy thing is sort of a frontier which hasn't been proved at all, but I think it'll get traction in the future. Now, that'll be with the people who follow the subject. I think that's one of the things that uh, 
starts to boggle the mind. But as far as the general public and proving that Bigfoot exists in the first place, I'm not holding my breath. I I think that it's just going to keep being discredited for the same reasons. And I, I'm not looking for the Sasquatch to be a recognized species in my lifetime. <laughs> But um, what's interesting to me on the frontier of the knowledge is just what's going on with their capabilities and how far do they extend. And that's what's fun to discuss at the conferences. But I get pretty tired of arguing, you know, for the simple existence of Bigfoot because it's you just don't hear anything that hasn't been said 30 years ago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you, you've said a lot of things about Sasquatches that are wise and that kind of resonate with me. Uh, one is uh, um, it's easy to convince yourself and impossible mm -hmm. to convince anyone else. Right, right. Tom, with that, I think I'd like to thank you for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond, right. you know? All right. And it's good to hang out with two of my best friends at the same time, even though one's 700 miles away. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. Cliff, uh, Bobo, great hanging out. Cool, thanks, Tom. All right, pleasure is all mine. Take care, gentlemen. Bobes, it's been great hanging out, man. And until next time, keep it squashy, folks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.